Father, we pray that for each of our lives as well. We each come here in the midst of our own difficulty, our own struggle, um, some bigger than others, but yet, Father, we come because we know we need your guidance, we need your healing, we need your restoration, and so, Father, we pray that you would do that in our lives this morning. Uh, Refocus our eyes back on you um, this morning, we pray, and Father, that's why we come to your word We come every day because we know we need your guidance, but we come on this morning because more than ever we need to hear you speak. We need our eyes turned off of all of the chaos and the worry in the world, and we need our eyes to be focused on you and to be reminded of who you are and what you've done in our lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that this morning, and that as we come to your word that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us and remind us who you are and what you've done in our lives. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning will be John chapter 9, continuing the series in John. Um, I find it a little bit humorous, this story. Um, It's one of the few stories where there is notable humor. So just follow along with this chapter. It's fairly long. So uh, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. 
The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who, who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So we don't, uh, we don't normally look at for one sermon. And yet, um, as you're going to see, that whole chapter is meant to be understood as one story, making one point. Um, and maybe you see my question up on, the, up on the screen, and you may not understand what that has to do with any of the story, um, but it has more than you know. And, and it is a question I want you ask. You know, the question is different for everybody. What, what's the main thing that hinders you from sharing um, the gospel with people in the community or in the work? Like, what's the, what holds you back? And, and it's different for everybody. Um, 
But as I've shepherded people for a long time and talked to people about this, there's probably two, uh, two things that come up the most often for me uh, when I talk. And the, the first one is, like, well, I'm afraid if I share my faith, there's going to be some form of conflict, right? The, the person's going to get angry, mad at me, that I'm going to lose a friend, I'm going to lose a job, I'm going to lose... So there's going to be some kind of conflict, and so that's why I don't do that. And, and the second reason is often people say, well, I just feel completely unequipped to be able to share the gospel. I don't really know what to say. I don't know, like, if they ask me a really hard question, I don't have the answers to that, and so I just don't know what to do. And uh, as I was thinking about those kind of hindrances and, and reading our story, um, this story actually gives us a really powerful example against both of those done by the man who was born blind. Um, because on the one hand, we see this man who has been a beggar his entire life, right? He has been kind of the lowest of the low in society. He has no education, no power, no authority, no status, and yet he is faithfully witnessing to those who have all of the power, status, and authority. Um, And on the other hand, we see that there's some significant conflict that results from being a faithful witness. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that... uh, Maybe I've been emphasizing a lot throughout the Gospel of John. We see it. There's a ton of conflict throughout the Gospel of John. And, and I just think it's important for us to continually get that kind of pounded in our hearts and minds. That, that when we faithfully witness about Jesus Christ, there will be conflict. Uh, no matter what. And, and it's important for us because, I, for one, I, in general, we're all kind of conflict avoidant, but especially in the Midwest, <laughs> right? Us Midwesterners, we, we're, we're kind of, we, it's all Midwest nice, right? We, we want to be nice. We don't want to be seen as being mean. We don't want to have conflict. And so we just kind of run away from it all the time. And, and as a result, one of the things that I've noticed, especially in the Midwest, is that there are a number of Christians who actually think that if they're witnessing and they're sharing their faith with somebody and there is some conflict, they automatically think, well, I must have done something wrong. Because this person got angry and mad at me, so I must have not done a good job witnessing. And the reality is, um, as we read through the Gospels, right, Jesus gave a perfect witness, and there was always conflict around him. Yeah, eventually they kill him. And, uh, and, and any time there is a faithful witness in Scripture, there is conflict. And so that's going to happen. And, and that's really one of the reasons why Jesus says this. I mean, this is really the summary statement of the entire story right here that comes at the end. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. That's, that's the one sentence summary of the entire story. That, that there are those in the world who are blind and then will eventually see, but there are those in the world who think they can see 
and will continually become more and more blind. And it shows that there's this division in the world. And, and where there's division, there's conflict every time. And, and even in the passage, we see this statement, there was division amongst them. There, there's argue, arguments, debates. Who is he? What's he about? And the, there was this kind of division and conflict. And, and even Jesus, in another gospel, he says this, Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There's division because of Jesus. He, he is, he's, because of who he is and what he said, you, you're either for him or against him. There's always going to be this level of division, and that means there's going to be conflict. And that means, that's a reminder for all of us, whether we like conflict or not, part of being a faithful follower of Christ means we will enter into conflict. And so we're not actually given the the opportunity to say, like, well, I don't really want to share my faith because it's going to get me in trouble or it's going to cause some conflict. Uh, The reality is that's going to happen. Even if you're not sharing your faith, you're going to enter into conflict. But it will happen as we do that. And so the, the goal is to try to run away from conflict. The goal is to learn how to enter into that conflict in a way that's faithful. And, and to be a faithful, bold witness for Christ in the midst of that. And, and I think one of the things that we see here in this man that was healed is a faithful bold witness in the midst of conflict. And, uh, you know, the story set up, it kind of just flows right out of what we've been talking about. You'll actually see, hopefully by the end, that all of chapter 9 is just connected to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. But remember what, how everything ended last week at the end of chapter 8, right? They picked up stones to kill him, to kill Jesus, because he had just said that he was God. And then it said, but they weren't able to because he hid himself and left the temple. And when you kind of read the flow of the story, his disciples were with him as he left the temple. And so he's, he hides himself, leaves the temple with his disciples. And as they're walking out of the temple, they see this man begging who's been, who was born blind. Which makes sense because that's where the poor, the weak, and the needy begged was outside the temple, right? That's why... Today, right, 2,000 years later, when someone's poor, weak, and needy, they're in their need of help, where do they come? They, they come to the church. They look for help, assistance. And so that was the case. They were outside the temple. The man was begging. And, and as they walk, the disciples see him, and they have a theological question for Jesus. Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And you know, it flows from this understanding that they had that, that all sin, all illness, wasn't just the result of sin in general, but it was a result of personal sin, right? And uh, either of the person or their parents. But, but Jesus kind of responds differently. He says, well, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
And uh, it's a powerful statement, and yet I have heard people take the statement and, and like make Jesus say more than he was saying. I've heard people say, well, Jesus said, I, they'll quote this verse, and Jesus said that, that no, no illness, that no sickness is a result of sin. And that's not what he said. And actually, there's places in the Bible that talk about people having sickness and illness because of their sin. Actually, Paul even tells people, because they were taking communion wrong, they were sick and dying. And so that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't answering the big theological question here. Jesus is talking about this man right in front of them. And he says, in this guy's case, he's not blind because he sinned, because he was born that way. And he was, he's not blind because of his parents' sin. He's blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And, and it, when you think about this, that doesn't even, Jesus isn't even talking about the cause of the man's blindness. All he's doing is saying, this man's blindness is going to be used for something. And so Jesus is like, let's not even, let's not even worry about what caused him to be blind. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because of his blindness. And that's going to be that the work of God's going to be displayed in him powerfully. And again, it's important for us to, to understand that. Because on the one hand, I think we have to know that, that our own sin causes harm. It causes harm to us. There's consequences to our sin. It'll cause harm to other people. It dishonors God. Like, that's part of it. And so there are times to think, to actually think and say, all right, is this going on right now because there's sin in my life that I need to confess and repent? Like, that, that's an actual thing we need to answer. But, but we also know that not every trial and difficulty is a result of sin. We know, I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible written about that called Job. To answer this theological question that the disciples and the Pharisees obviously still don't get. So we know that not every difficulty is a result of our sin, but, but sometimes we can ask that. But, but here's what Jesus is telling us. It says, actually, maybe don't always worry about the result of the sickness or illness. He says, this you can have confidence of. And I'll take his words and quote another, for, another scripture. You can be confident of this, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose... All things work together for their good and for God's glory. You can be confident of that. Whether the sickness or the illness in your life or someone else's life is a result of sin or a result of God's testing or trial, you can be confident that God will use it for your good and for his glory. And what I'm going to connect this to later on, God will use it for your good and his glory, which means he's going to give you the opportunity to have a witness to his glory as well. And so Jesus goes on and he, he does this powerful work. And, and it's interesting, he doesn't wait for the man to ask him. He just goes up and heals him. The man, we never hear the blind man asking, Jesus, heal me. He, Jesus just goes up and does the thing. And says he, after saying this, he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went, washed, came back seeing. 
Now, I hope just reading that, that causes a lot of questions. Because we've already watched, just I mean, most of you know more than just the Gospel of John. But even as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've watched Jesus heal some people. Um, he healed a child already from like 20 miles away. And he healed a paralyzed man by the pool of Siloam by just saying, get up and walk. So what's with the spit in the mud? Like, why is he doing that? And then he kind of rebuked the paralyzed man that was by the pool of Siloam. But this man, he tells him to go to the pool. So what's, what's going on? And, and then to make it more complicated, if Jesus... Conflict was that Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. That's why the Pharisees were so mad at him. So if he would have just spoke and healed the man, there would have been no conflict with the Pharisees, and yet he did it. So why? Um, I wrestled through this this week, trying to figure it out. I read a lot of commentaries trying to figure out what people, not just today, but throughout history have thought. And, and I think I agree that what it seems like we're doing two different things here. And on the one hand, Jesus is testing the faith of this man. Because it seems like Jesus is making his blindness worse, right? Because he's packing mud in the guy's eyes. <laughs> it seems like Jesus is doing, he's not making a tincture or an ointment or anything like that. He's taking mud and packing it in the guy's eyes. It seems like he's making it worse. And then he goes, now go wash it out to see it's a test of the man's faith. And the man goes without any hesitation, goes, washes his eyes out, and is healed, right? He, he believed and he obeyed, right? It's, it's an example of what we just read in, in John chapter 8. Anyone who's truly my disciple does what? Keeps my word. And Jesus tells the man, do this. And he goes, okay, he does it. Um, but the second thing I think Jesus is doing is uh, I think he's intentionally causing conflict with the Pharisees. Because he knows they're going to get wound out about making the mud on the Sabbath. Um, but he does it anyways. And, and I think what Jesus is doing is he's intentionally getting them riled up to show the division that he's talking about in the world. To show this statement. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, like the blind man. But that those who see, and this really means those who think they see, may become blind. That that's the division in the world, and that's the division we see in the story. On the one hand, we see the man who was blind had faith in Jesus and was healed. And then we see the rest of the story. We see just blindness after blindness after blindness, right? I mean, all of the friends. I mean, think he's, he's going back and he's hanging out with all of his friends. He hung out with around the block and in the community. And they're not celebrating with him. They're going, well, maybe this really 
isn't the guy who we think it is. Maybe he's somebody else. And as Don pointed out, the silliness of he's saying, no, it's me. And they're like, no, nah, it's probably not you. It, there, you must have a lookalike or a doppelganger. Like, there must be some. He's like, no, it's me. And so they, they can't figure it out. So they bring him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees start asking him questions. But the Pharisees aren't really asking him questions, trying to figure it out, right? Because we read this. The Jews, or the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders did not believe that he had been blind and received sight. It says until they called the parents man, but when you read the rest of the contact, it's like so they called the parents in to try to answer that question. Because they never believe that this actually happened. That's why they tell them to repent eventually. Tell us the truth. So they, don't, they never believed that this man was actually blind in the first place. They, they assumed this was some kind of a hoax, some kind of a plan. And so they're, they're interrogating him, trying to get him to contradict his story and incriminate himself. And they, they bring in the parents to try to have, maybe the parents will point this out, and the parents keep telling the same story. But they don't say much, do they? The parents kind of say, hey, keep us out of this. Like, go talk to him. And here's why, and I think this helps, this helps us understand uh, the witness of the man. This, they have this line in here. His parents said these things, or didn't say much, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And that's not just saying, please leave the synagogue. That was saying, you're out of the Jewish community, period. You, you confess him to be the Messiah, this is complete excommunication. You are gone. You are dead to us. Okay? So that's, that's the level of tension and persecution coming on here, right? This is the, the kind of intensity and conflict that's happening. And, and, you know, we, most of us, haven't had to fully experience that. Uh, people are experiencing this in Muslim-majority countries all over, right? I mean, you're, if, if you say that Jesus is the Messiah in a Muslim-majority country, you're kicked out of your family, you're ostracized, they won't talk to you, you're, you're kicked out of, you lose your job, you, you might die. I mean, it's intense. And that's, what's, that's literally the stakes here. And, and the reason I want us to know that is because that helps us understand how faithful and bold this blind beggar is. Because he's stepping in, and they're like coming after him. I mean, they, they say to him, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. And that's their way of saying, stop lying to us. We know he's a sinner. We know you are not, you were not born blind. We know you haven't been healed. Stop dishonoring God. Stop lying. Tell us the truth. Unless you do, you're kicked out. You're gone. Um, and then when that doesn't work, they start calling him names. You were born in utter sin. You think you can teach us? They're saying this because he was born blind. Assuming his blindness was the result of his sin or his parents' sin. It's, it's, a little, it's actually a little funny shot that John throws in there to show us the blindness uh, of these leaders. Jesus already corrected that, but they're still diving into that. And, you know, and in the midst of the attack, and in the midst of the intensity, in the midst of the crazy consequences, 
Um, I love the man's response. There's one line, it's just like I could see like a humble farmer just saying this, saying like, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Right? You think of like the old westerns where you're like, I don't know about all that, but I do know this. Um, that, he, and, and I, when he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know, he's, he's really saying, I'm just not going to get into that conversation with you, because eventually he does give them some answers, right? But right now he's like, you know, you all want to get wound up about that, but let me tell you what I do know. I know who I was, and I know what Jesus has done, and I can tell you about that. And that. That's what it means to be a witness. Um, and, and that's why there's literally no person who's a faithful Christian who can say, well, I'm just not equipped or smart enough to be a witness. Because all it is is saying, here's what I know. I know what Jesus has done for me. And I know what he's done in my life. And let me show you a couple examples of what he's done in my life. And, and any faithful, any true Christian can do that. And people can raise all of these scientific struggles and all of these apologetic things. And they can say, well, what about the problem of evil? What about the age of the earth? What about the... And you can go, you know what? I don't know about all that. <laughs> but I do know this. I once was blind. And now I see. Because of Jesus. You don't need to complicate it. You don't need to have a four-step plan. You don't have to have... You just... Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done in my life. And he can do that in your life too. Um, it's, it's that simple. And I also love um, that in the midst of that, the man's kind of just giving this just faithful witness... But he also has a level of like confidence and boldness and I think a little sass in the midst of this. Because I mean, he, he says, they keep asking him the same questions over and over again. I've already told you this. You're not listening. Why do you want to hear it? Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, that is a great line, right? I mean, he, he was like, I'm done playing the games. I'm going to poke a little bit. But he's not just poking, right? He's not just angering them to anger. That's not, we don't do that either, okay? But what he's doing is he's pointing out again what? Their blindness and their hardness of heart. And he's saying, why don't you see what is so clearly seen by so many other people? You think you see, but you're blind. But he doesn't say it like that. He does it with a little bit of a mock, a little bit of sass. Because sometimes faithful witness is that. Uh, we see it throughout Scripture. But they cast him out. It wasn't effective. He didn't win the Pharisees over. They didn't care about his witness. They, they threw him out. They, they literally kicked him out of the synagogue, kicked him out of the Jewish faith. But then what do we see? And this is probably one of my favorite parts of the story. Jesus heard that they kicked him out, and then Jesus found him. And Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, 
This is one of the points that John makes over and over and over again, but I'll keep making it over and over again for the same reason, that that Jesus' miracles are never just about the miracle. The miracle itself is a witness. The miracle is designed to point you to see who Jesus is more fully. And so Jesus is never satisfied with someone only receiving the physical miracle. And so he's coming up to this guy and saying, all right, now you can physically see. Now I want to make sure that you can spiritually see. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he goes, show me and I'll believe, right? And Jesus says, I'm the guy. And he responds and says, I believe. And he worshiped him. He saw, truly. And then the passage ends, kind of where it began, right? For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are you saying we're blind? My translation. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And what he's saying is, if you actually admitted that you were blind, that wouldn't be the problem. But because you think you see and refuse to understand that you're blind, your guilt remains. And to quote what he told them a couple weeks ago in a sermon, and, and you will die in your sin because you think you can see. And, you know, again, this is the reason why this comes right after John chapter 8. Remember, the last few weeks we've been talking about Jesus talking to this group of people and they all claim to believe Jesus, right? But some believe and some don't believe. And Jesus is talking about, here's what it means to be a true disciple of mine. Here's what it means to have a true faith. And now we see a story coming about where we have people claiming to believe the Pharisees don't claim to believe in Jesus, but they claim to be true, faithful disciples. They claim to see. And Jesus says, but there's a division here. There's a division. There's some that truly believe and some that don't truly believe. And those who truly believe are those who recognize that they're blind. And they need Jesus in order to see. And those who are not truly his disciples are those who think they have it all figured out. And they think they see, and they will continue to become more and more blind. And their guilt will remain, and they'll die in their sin. And uh, Herman Ritterboss says this, like he said, this is what Jesus is saying to them. If you were lacking only in your ability to see, that would not be a sin. It would not stand in the way of your being healed. But in your case, things are not that simple. The Pharisees think, we can see. We need no other light, nor anyone to save us from the darkness. And because in their pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency, they say, we don't actually need Jesus. He said, because of that, you will die in your sin. And you know, that's helpful for us. It, 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 these things kind of push questions on us that we have to, that's the whole point of them. They have to cause us to ask, like, where are we at in this spectrum? Like, are, are we those who think we can see and that we have it all figured out on our own and we can handle this on our own? Then we're falling into the camp of those who are going to increasingly become blind. 
Um, or are we those who recognize, no, I'm, I'm blind. I have no idea what's going on, and I need you, Christ. I need you to heal me, body and soul. Um, that's really the separation. That's the division in the world is between, is right there. And, and, and that also helps us understand the point of our witness. As we go out into the world and as we start to tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives, about the mighty works of God, as the psalmist said, um, what we're doing is actually telling people who think they can see that they're actually blind. And that's why there's conflict. Because people don't really like to be told that. Um, and yet, that's part of our witness. And, and it's not always it has to be like super confrontational, but you can say, hey, I once was where you were, and I thought I had it all figured out. But then Christ came into my life, he changed it. And after Christ came into my life, I really saw. For the first time in my life, I saw. And he can do that in your life, too. And we have to be able to do that with confidence, with boldness. We don't have to be afraid of it. Because all we're doing is just talking about what Christ has done in us and pointing people to do that. And and even in the midst of conflict, tension, we can say, I don't know about all that. (laughs) But I can tell you this. Here's what he's done in my life. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't, even have to have, you don't even have to have a middle school education to be able to do that. Anybody who can speak can talk about what God has done and be faithful in that. And, and we think that just saying it softly and gently it will keep us out of conflict, but it won't. Even that, even that gentle witness where you say, you know, I once thought and looked at the world like you, but now Christ has changed me, that's going to bring conflict. Um, and that'll probably get you kicked out of a few places. Um, because the world is divided. But, but the beautiful part of the story is it shows us the picture of a man who gave a faithful witness and was kicked out of an unfaithful place. So that he could walk faithfully with Christ. And that's what's put before us on a regular basis. Uh, and we have to be able to come to the place where we can say, I'm, I'm fine being kicked out of unfaithful places so I can faithfully walk alongside Christ. And then realize that when we're kicked out of these places, guess who comes and finds us out? Christ. He comes, walks alongside us, and then gives us everything we need to continue to faithfully follow him in the world.